want to dive right into things today. We are continuing with our upper room theme, which has been our focus for this fall here at Toronto City Church. Now, I'll do a brief recap because I do know we have some new faces and some people are joining us today. And so, I, I mean, there's no way I could bring you up to speed with everything we've covered, but at least kind of help you locate, know just where we're going and what we're after. We've, we have this season of the, what we're calling the upper room. And our core text that we've been working out of has been Luke 24, 49. It says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So this is where we've been after, and this is where our focus has been. First and foremost, we have recognized that we have incredible promises that God has spoken over us. Here at Toronto City Church, there's some incredible promises that God has spoken over us as a church. There's been some historical promises and historical prophetic words. There are also some very recent prophetic words and some things that were even spoken over the summer when Emma Stark and Sam Robertson were with us. And we really just felt the Lord say, we need to kind of really lean in for these promises. But even beyond the core There are promises of God over your life. Every one of you in this place has great purpose and great promises that God has placed over life. Now, you may be saying, listen, well, I don't know what they are. Listen, then press in. Ask God. Find out what they are. So there's incredible promises over your life. Everybody say promises. And so we see there's promises, but what we've been recognizing is we do not have the strength or the ability to manifest or to walk out these promises on our own. But we need the power of God. We need God's power. We need God's power to live it out. We need God's power to see it come to pass. This is not something about us trying harder or us trying to make it work. It is something that we need to depend on him. We need to wait on him because we need his power. Everybody say power. And so that brings us to where this verse talks about. He said, Jesus said, go and tarry in the city of Jerusalem or wait until you receive this power. So we've got these incredible promises. We recognize that we need the power of God. And so because of that, we are tarrying or we are waiting on God. Now, it's interesting. I saw something this week on Instagram. Actually, Miranda had sent it over to me. And then I saw it some other places. And some of you will remember several messages ago when Melissa, uh, one of our leaders, and she was on worship today, she shared just something God had been showing her about waiting on the Lord. And that waiting on the Lord, actually, that word wait in the Hebrew, the original language is written, means to be intertwined. So it means to be intertwined or to tie together. And what Miranda had sent me was something that was going around on Instagram, just a reel. And it gave such a beautiful picture because it talked about this entwining. And it gave this picture of, of how many of you have ever been in a three-legged race? Anybody ever been in a three-legged race? Okay, a bunch of us have. Anyone here ever watched a three-legged race? Anyone here is just, you're not going to raise your hand no matter what I say, (laughs) right? You're just like, I'm not doing it, Pastor. I'm not raising my hand, right? But a three-legged race, what do you do? You get a partner, and you tie your legs together, and you now have to do what? You have to run and move in unison. And how many know that when you do it, it can actually be much harder than it looks, Because you actually have to get into the same rhythm. But you'll watch some people who really get going fast. They get into the same rhythm. They get into the same step. That is this picture of what waiting on God is. It's tying ourselves to the Lord. It's intertwining our lives with him. And so I am no longer just trying to do things at my own pace, in my own way, in my own like style of what I want to do. But I'm waiting on him. When he goes fast, I go fast. When he goes slow, I go slow. When he stops, I stop. Why? Because I'm waiting on him. I'm intertwined with him. 
And so we said in this season, and that's why we're doing these prayer gatherings, and we're taking extra time, even in a service like this, when the Holy Spirit's flowing, just to take that extra time in worship, because we're getting that connection. We're getting that sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. That's why it talks about be led by the Spirit, that we walk being led by the Holy Spirit. And so we're continuing in this season. And I really want to encourage you and ask you, save the date for the last weekend of November because that's going to be when we're bringing all of this to a crescendo. And we're going to have the Friday night gathering. And then we're going to have something very special here on Sunday just as we come, not to the end of waiting on God because that's something we're going to continue to do, but when we come to the end of this season. But what I want to do is we've been talking a lot about the upper room, upper room season. We've looked at a lot of different scriptures. We haven't spent a lot of time in Acts chapter 2 itself. So I want to take some time today, and I want to spend some time in Acts chapter 2, because that's literally when the Holy Spirit came, and what came and what flowed out of that. So if you want to go with Acts chapter 2, 1 to 14, and let's just read together. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, everybody say fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and then suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitudes came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our language in which we are born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phygra and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they're all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocked, saying they are full of new wine. It's interesting. When you're going after God, don't expect everybody to support you. Don't expect everybody to be on board with you. You're thankful for all who are. But understand, there will be times where people do not understand or there's opposition. Don't let that stop you. Verse 14, but Peter, standing up in the eleven, raised his voice and said to the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. And then he goes on to preach a great sermon which kick-started and jumped, really jump-started the entire early church. Over 3,000 came to the Lord. It was a powerful time. I want to do today is I want to just pull two different phrases from this passage. And there, 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 there are, there's some connection between them, but it's almost two different elements, almost a part A and a part B that I want to share with you today. And particularly because the part A, I felt the Lord say there's some people here today who are going to need to hear this. And so part A, I want you to look at this first part of the chapter where it says this, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Everybody say, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. One of the things that I think is so important, we're talking about being those who are waiting on God, those who are intertwined with him, who are walking with him, who are following his pathway. The last couple of weeks we've been talking about faith in the wild and how we can even in the days we're living in walk as people of faith and God's empowerment. One of the most important skills, and this is something that can seem very simple, but we need to understand the plan of God and we need to understand the timing of God. And I want to take a few moments to encourage your heart regarding God's plan and regarding God's timing. 
One of the foundational things that we as followers of Jesus, it, it becomes a bedrock, it becomes a foundational cornerstone in what you do and I say is we understand that life does not just happen by accident, but as we follow God, as we yield our lives to him, that God has a plan. Everybody say, God has a plan. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for my life. God has a plan for our church. It is not just, well, hopefully things come together. No, when you give your life to Jesus, when you begin to follow him, God has a plan. And God's plan is a good plan. God's plan, it talks about Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, plan to prosper you, plan to give you a future, and plan to give you a hope. We can learn to trust in the plan of God. And I feel in my heart today just to encourage many people in this place to trust God's plan for your life. Now that sounds good, but sometimes God's plan isn't working the way we thought it was going to work. Anybody ever notice that sometimes God's plan's a little different than your plan? Anybody ever notice God's plan doesn't quite go the way you thought it was supposed to go? Anybody here besides me have conversations with God every once in a while? Go, hey Lord, can we talk about this for a second? Right, because you said this, and, and, and I thought this was the way it was going to happen, but Lord, it's not working out the way I thought right now. But see, God's saying to trust his plan. And then part of trusting his plan, family, is learning to trust his timing. Now let me show you. See, see when we, we, we develop faith in all, we've got to grow, and it's so key in this time, that you trust God's plan, even when you don't understand. And that you learn to trust God's timing. Let me share a couple thoughts on this. Thought number one. God's plan almost always takes longer than we think it should. Let me say that again. God's plan, I say almost, because every once in a while God will do something so quick and you're like, Lord, whoa, 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 what's happening here? But most of the time God's plan takes longer than we think. Or maybe it's just me. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just in my life that God's life. I want to show you guys this. The team put it up on the screen. See, this is the way we often think about our plan when God gets. See, God gives us this vision. God gives us this dream, this end goal. This is where I'm going to be. This is what it's going to look like. How many know we feel like that's going to be like next month? All right? It's going to be, I'm going to be married by this point. I'm going to have my career all together by this point. God's given me a vision of impacting lives this way. And it's all going to happen by this point. See, that's our plan. Our plan is straight line as quickly as possible. But then God's plan, well, it starts, all of a sudden you end up in a valley with rocks. And you got to kind of cruise around the rocks and figure out how to do it. And the next one, I don't even know what that is. I think that's kind of like a rope bridge. And so all of a sudden you got to kind of cross this dangerous bridge and then you come to a lake and you have a choice between a zip line and a boat. I'm still figuring that one out. And so you maybe, I guess this guy decided zip line was too dangerous. So you have to take the boat across that. Then you got to climb up and then you get into another valley. There's storms. I mean, it's kind of a funny picture, but here's the deal, guys. God's plan takes longer than what we think. And some of you are in a place right now where you're following what you believe God's plan, but you've been struggling or frustrated because it's not happening quickly enough. I want to encourage you today. Trust God's plan. And trust God's timing because God knows what needs to happen when. The second thought I want to share with you from this is God's plan is always about preparation so you can handle where he's taking you. 
In other words, when you get there, you will be able to steward and handle all that's happened because so often we just see the dream, we see kind of a picture of the, we don't see the spiritual warfare that's accompanied with it, we don't see the pressures that we're going to face, we don't see the character that we have to develop. You ever heard someone say the phrase, your gift can take you to a place your character cannot keep you? In other words, that happens so often. Your gift or God, I just want to be there. I just want to be at the end. I just want to be on that stage. I just want to be in that position. I just want to have that opportunity. And God says, well, you're not ready for it yet. You think you're ready, but you're not ready. So part of my plan is preparing you so that when you get there, you will be ready. So when you get there, you will be able to walk in all that I have for you. And so there's different things that you walk through. It's not all necessarily bad. Sometimes it can be good things that are part of his preparation, but it's understanding God is preparing me. Now, I don't know about you, but here's the problem. A lot of times when it starts taking longer, you start getting frustrated. I know I can get frustrated. I start getting discouraged. We start complaining. Maybe it's just me. God, I don't know why this is taking so long. I feel like I'm missing you, Lord. I don't understand. And see, instead of preparing in the journey, we are complaining in the journey. And then what happens is you can't complain and prepare at the same time. And so there's people sometimes that your plan actually, God has to take you around the mountain again because you don't learn the lessons he needs you to learn. And he says, well, you're not ready to go up the mountain yet, so I love you. You think it's God holding out on you. It's actually God loving you because he says you're not ready. But if you would just stop complaining and start receiving what he's trying to do in your life, then he says, oh, wait, now you're ready. Let's take you up the notch. Let's go to the next level. But see, it's understanding that God is preparing me. What is God doing in your life right now? What is God leading you into that's preparing you? Are you embracing the process? Or are you kicking and screaming and complaining? Now, I know it's hard sometimes. It's difficult. I'm not saying it's an easy thing, but when you understand, as you say, God, I trust your plan. God, I trust your timing in my life. Come on, someone needs to hear the word today. Trust the timings of God in your life. Trust the timings of God. It might be taking longer than you thought, but trust him because there's some things he knows that you don't know, and there's some things maybe that he's protecting you from that you don't even realize he's protecting you from, and you think you're ready right now, but he says, no, I still want to rearrange this in your life, and I want to work on this area of your character because when you get there, I want you to be fully ready for what I have. Somebody say, trust the timing. I know some of you are just getting a conviction. Say it again. Trust the timing. Thought number three. Here's what I found. Many believers are actually on the right pathway, but they just quit too soon. They just quit too soon. This is too hard. I didn't expect this. This wasn't the way it was supposed to go. And I understand, guys. I understand sometimes you're waking up in a season, in a situation in your life. You're like, I never saw myself being here. And God, when you promise me, sometimes you feel like you're going the wrong direction. You're like, Lord, you said this. I feel like I'm going the total opposite direction. Here's what I want to encourage you in that. The Bible talks about a children's, a man's children being like arrows in the hand of a warrior. God's getting ready to launch you into what he's called you to, but an arrow first goes backwards before it goes forward. And if God's taking you backwards right now, and you're going, I don't understand. This is the wrong direction. I don't know what's going on. Here's the other thing. The pressure on the arrow increases the further back you get. 
See, there's no pressure when you're not being ready to be launched. But God says, no, I'm pulling you back. You feel like you're going the wrong way, and there's increasing pressure on you, but it's because I'm getting ready to release you into what I have for you. But trust me. Trust my plan. Trust my timings. Know that I know exactly when and how this needs to happen. Come on, someone tell your neighbor, trust God. Don't quit just because it's hard. Don't quit because you don't understand. You know, I'm convinced of this. You guys know when Peter denied Jesus? Have you thought that was so strange? I mean, here he is chopping off the high priest's servant's ear. Talk about if there's anyone who you feel like would go down fighting, it was Peter. And yet, just like three hours later, he's denying Jesus in front of a little servant girl. What happened? What changed? I'll tell you what changed. Peter no longer understood what Jesus was doing. He thought Jesus' kingdom was going to come through a certain way. And so then when Jesus rebuked him, healed the man's ear, and Peter could no longer understand what was happening, all of a sudden he lost his courage. There's something about faith in God even when you don't understand. Faith in God where you can't see what's happening and you can't see what's going on and you feel like you're stuck in the middle of a valley and there's storm clouds around you and maybe there's some voices in your ear saying, why would you even trust God? Why would you believe? What you need to learn to do is I will not quit. I will not stop. I choose to trust God. I choose to trust his plan for my life. I choose to trust his timing and even if it's taking longer than I thought it was going to take, I still choose to trust him anyways. We trust his timing. One last thought, and this will be for somebody else today. God's provision is always right on time, but it's never early. Now catch that for a second. God's provision is right on time, but he never comes early. Now I wish he'd send it early. We've had this conversation before. I wish, I, I wish he'd show me the entire plan from the beginning. But you know some of us, if he showed us the plan, we'd bail out right at that point. <laughs> right? He loves us enough not to show us the whole thing. He just shows us some of the good parts. He doesn't show us some of the battles that we go through together because we'd probably be, I don't even do this. But God says, I will provide every need, but your need is going to be there when you need it. See, what happens for a lot of us, and I know I definitely am very prone to this. Oh, actually, don't even have that there. What happens for a lot of us, grab me a towel, Jess, just. What happens for a lot of us is we don't step out until we see the provision. But God says, thank you, Kamisha. God says, step out in faith and then you'll receive the provision. So there's people in here today, God has spoken to you. He's put things on your heart, but you're not going because the provision isn't there. But God's saying to you, listen, your provision will be there when you need it. Do you need it right now? No, no, but I need it in 30 days. Well, God says, start following me, and it'll be there in 30 days when you need it. Now, I wish he'd do it just 30 days in advance all the time. I wish he'd just put it all out there for me, just stick in an account. But here's the thing I've learned. If God does that, I'd probably end up wasting it. I'd probably end up mismanaging it. See, God knows exactly what I need when I need it. And so somebody here needs to hear today, stop waiting for the provision for you to take the step of faith. Take the step of faith and watch God bring the provision. You know, I say I was referencing a couple weeks ago, I got the story a little mixed up. My dad had corrected me, but he did some uh, backpacking, some surveying around Yukon when we got to high school, right? Am I got it right now? And one of the things is you do these long trips, you can't carry all your food for the entire trip, a multiple week trip. So what they do is they do food drops. And there's a certain point on your journey that they either fly in or somebody takes it in advance and they leave a cache of food there for you. 
And so your job is to get to that point and your supplies will be low the day before, but then when you reach there, you replenish your supplies and you're ready for the next step of the journey. See, a lot of times we're asking God to give us everything right at the start, but we can't carry everything right at the start. And so if we will follow him, he has provision drops along the journey. But here's the point. you got to keep following him. If you sit down and quit and go, this is too hard. I don't have hardly any food. Keep going. The food's just next day. Don't stop. Trust God. Come on, somebody say trust God. Come on, somebody say trust his plan. Somebody say I'm going to trust his timing. I'm going to trust his provision. And so let's just pray into this right now because I feel like the Lord for many of us wants to grow us in this place of trust. And if this is a word especially for you, I want you to receive it right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for trust. Lord, I thank you that we are trusting your plan for our life. God, I thank you that we are trusting your provision for our life. And God, I thank you that we are trusting for your timing in our life. And even when something isn't happening as quickly as we think it should or we'd like it to, we choose to trust you anyways. And we know that you are good and we know that you know the perfect order and timing. I thank you that our steps are ordered by you. I thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path in the name of Jesus. And I thank you for just a fresh spirit of trusting you in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed, said. Amen. That's the first part. The second part, I want you to look at the second part of that first verse. And it says, the day of Pentecost had fully come, and they were all with one accord in one place. And I want to take a few moments today, I want to talk to you about the importance of unity and community. I want to talk to you about the importance of unity and community. Now, God is doing some really incredible things at Toronto City Church. Even this year, there's just been some amazing things that are happening, an amazing moving of the Holy Spirit, growth, new people are coming, definitely change, and, and, and you know some shifting and some things that are going on. So there's a lot that is happening, a lot is going on, and we are furthermore believing God for the greater things that he would do. We're asking God for the greater things. And there's a lot of different ingredients that are really important to a move of God. There's hunger for the word. We love that. There's prayer. We've been doing that this fall. We're continuing to grow in that. There's things like spiritual warfare, things like, you know, just declaring the word. You know, all these, the prophetic is so important. But I want to talk to you today about something, just for a few moments here, that a lot of times we wouldn't identify but is so important. And that something is unity and community. Everybody say unity and community. Unity and community will sustain a move of God in what he's doing. You can see good things start to happen without strong unity and community, but you will never see it continue. You will not see it sustained. So let's take a few moments to reflect on this of being in one accord and being in one place. Genesis 11 verse 9, I want to start there. It says, now the whole earth had one language in the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have one language. And this is the only beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down. Let's confuse their language so they may not understand one, spe one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. 
Therefore, its name was called Babel because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the entire earth. Now, just several thoughts I want to bring to you from this passage really quickly. Number one, I want you to notice that it was God who said they're one people, they have one language, and nothing they propose to do will be impossible. This was not something that they were saying. This was not something that just some person thought up and thought, wow, this seems pretty powerful. Oh, wow, you know, or just like vain boastings. You know, we can make vain boastings. Oh, we're going to do this, we're that, you know, all that. No, this was God who came and said, there is nothing impossible for them to do because they're one people and they have one language. Furthermore, I want you to see that this was not even a godly cause. This was not like it was something that God was empowering or God was behind. It was actually something wicked that God ultimately wanted to stop. But to me, it shows the power of unity and community. It shows that there is a spiritual principle here that when people come together in unity, when they come together as community, that there is a power that is released that is not possible when they're just on their own. And so what do we see here was God's remedy for this situation. God's remedy was to bring division. God's remedy was to change their languages and to cause them to not understand. In other words, he brought division to the unity and the community that had been brought. Now this obviously was a good thing because God was stopping something wicked from happening. But guys, I want to encourage you. The same spiritual principle is in place for the people of God. If we will learn by the power of the Holy Spirit to become one people with one language, there's a unity, there's a community that comes, and then God's blessing is on that, what can we accomplish? What can we see come to pass? How great of things can happen if God was so concerned about this from a point of wickedness, what happens when it comes from a point of righteousness? Unity and community is so important. Let's look at Psalm 133. It'll be a psalm many of you are familiar with. We've gone to it before as a church. It says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers, and I love to say sisters as well, dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Again, several things I want to encourage us from in this passage. Number one, God's heart is that we would dwell in unity. That's God's passion for us. That's God's desire. It says how blessed it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And I was thinking about, even as a parent, if I think about this picture of God as our heavenly father and we being his kids, And as a parent, you can understand, all of you are parents in here, there's something that's beautiful about when your children are loving each other, when your children are getting along. But there's also something that's just very jarring if they're always at each other, they're always tearing each other down. And even as you get older and you have older children, you know, sometimes it can get very serious about the divisions in family. That hurts your heart as a parent. But it blesses your heart when you see your children walking in that love and if that unity. Why would God be any different? Family, when we walk in disunity, when we tear each other down, when we gossip, when we judge one another, when we put each other down, it's against the heart of God and it actually hurts his heart. But see, when we love one another, when we serve one another, when we fight for unity, when we fight for community, it is an offering to God. It blesses his heart. It's blessed when we dwell together in unity. 
The second thought from this passage I want you to see is from the verse where it talks about it's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron. Now, Aaron was representative of the high priest. And what they would do is they would take anointing oil and they would pour it over the high priest. And in the Bible, it was not, you know, like we do our anointing oil, you get the little oil on the finger and you do like a little cross on the head. And some of you don't even like that. You're like, I don't want that oil on my skin. I see some of you, we do anointing services and you dodge. You know, you're just like, you see the hand coming? You're like, shoulder, all right. So, you know, you just dodge it. You don't want that. Well, in the Bible, when they anointed you, they took the oil and they just literally poured it all over you. Poured it on your head and it would run down. I mean, some of you are just like, I don't ever want to be anointed that way. But it was like poured down and it would run down. It talks about even in Aaron's beard and it would run into his garment. See, the anointing represents the power of God working on our behalf. What this tells us is when we fight for unity, when we fight for community, there is an anointing that's released that's not there when there's division. There's an anointing from God that is released over your life. There's an anointing from God that's released over our church when we fight for unity and we fight for community. And on the flip side, if we open the door and we participate with the enemy in division and backbiting and strife, it actually grieves the Holy Spirit and it shuts down the power of God. This is what people don't understand. They don't understand or get this, but this is what the scriptures say. When there's unity, when there's that love for one another, there's the anointing oil. The third thought from this, so I love the part, it says, it's like the dew of Hermon. What is the dew of Hermon? If you guys want to throw up that photo for me. Mount Hermon is actually a mountain in the northern part of Israel. And it's quite unique because as you can see here, if you see the white, the mountain behind, that's the mountain of Hermon. It actually is snow-capped. Even though most of the year it's in a dry and an arid place, it actually stands out because it's snow-capped. And what it says here in the verse is when there's unity, when we dwell together in unity, it's like the dew that comes off Hermon, which falls on the mountain of Zion. So what does this talk about? Well, I remember uh, several years back, I was listening to a Messianic rabbi, and he was sharing about how Mount Hermon is perpetually snow-capped, so there is a dew with just the, the snow, with the moisture that comes, and so even when the land around it becomes arid and dry, there is always a dew that comes from Mount Hermon, and what it does is it waters the land. In other words, it dominates and shifts the atmosphere. And so even though the weather says there should be a drought, Mount Hermon says, no, there's still going to be moisture. Even though the the, the time of year says it should be arid, it should be dry, there is a dew that comes from Hermon and actually it all comes all the way to Mount Zion. Mount Zion is there in Jerusalem where the temple is. What is God saying? God says when you fight for unity, when you fight for community with one another, it creates an atmosphere in the spirit where it's not dry, where it's not difficult, and it's an atmosphere where people... People can grow and people can flourish. When we fight for unity and community, people can walk into the building and there's something inside of them that knows, man, this is a place where there's love. This is a place where there's safety. This is a place where I can grow and I can flourish in what God has called me to. But the thing is, who will be the people who will fight for unity? Who will be the people who will fight for community so there can be the dew of Mount Hermon? And I love this, the last thought from this, it says, for the Lord there, the Lord has commanded the blessing. Where is there this commanded blessing? In that place where brothers and sisters fight for unity and fight for community. Come on, somebody say fight for unity. Come on, somebody say fight for community. 
I use that word very specifically. I'm not talking about some easy utopia. We're all going to sit around the fire and sing Kumbaya, my Lord. No, you know what? We're real people. We are going to get on each other's nerves sometimes. We are going to disappoint each other sometimes. We're going to hurt each other sometimes. But in the middle of that, we still make a decision. We're going to fight for unity. We're going to fight for community. We are going to fight to be the people of God that God has called us to be. Because it's not just about us, but it releases an anointing and it creates an atmosphere where God can move when we fight for unity and community. Let's look at a few more passages really quickly. Ephesians 4, 1 to 6 says this, and if Mike wants to come back. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Now again, just several quick thoughts from this verse. First and foremost, we are called to the unity of the Spirit. There's a difference between unity and uniformity. We're not preaching uniformity. Every person in this room is unique. Every person in this room is different. That's the way God made made us. We will have lots of similarities, but we are different. This is not about making everybody the same. This is not about making everybody think exactly the same way about things and become a robot. No, unity is where we come together and we bring our diversity, we bring our differences, and we bring with the power of God. That is what unity is about. Secondly, and it says, and it comes through the Holy Spirit. That's really the key, guys. It's learning to walk and learning to tap into the Holy Spirit. And if you're following the Holy Spirit and I'm following the Holy Spirit, that becomes the center that keeps us in unity. We're not always going to see eye to eye. We're not always going to be on the same page. We might disagree with the other sometimes, but if we know if we're connected with him and we're intertwined and we're in step with him, it's going to help us stay in step with each other. It's honestly one of the biggest keys. Pastor Sharon and I have learned about marriage. And we always say to couples, if they're asking us, you know, what can we do to strengthen our marriage? First thing we say, keep your relationship with God strong. Because if if both of you are working on your relationship with God, it strengthens your relationship with each other. Right? I can't get too far off the mark treating my wife terribly if I'm pursuing my relationship with God because he's going to kick my butt. Right? He's going to convict me. And vice versa. I'm not going to lie. Some days I pray. I say, Lord, can you talk to her, please? Can you, can you and her have a conversation, please? And some people are like, well, why don't you talk to her? I don't want to talk to her. You talk to her. Right? So sometimes I just need to open up and I need to talk about it. But I promise you she prays the same thing for me. But you know what? He does it. But it's because we're both committed to walking with the Spirit that helps us stay in unity. Well, this as well as some other key ingredients from this verse, if we're going to be people who are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Number one, remember the calling to which you're called. If you are taken with the calling of God as a church, if we're busy about the calling and purpose of God, we don't have time to fight each other. We have time to criticize or gossip or backbite. We're too busy working together to do the work of God. We're too busy working together to see people saved. You know, as we talk about being a cruise ship church versus a rescue ship church, we're too busy trying to help people get out of darkness and come into light. We don't have time to be petty. We don't have time to criticize and go after each other. Why? Because we know the calling. We know what we're after. You're so busy doing what God's called you to. You're not sitting there trying to criticize, put other people down, make yourself feel better by making them feel worse. You're just busy doing God's work. You're trying to raise everybody else up. You can to do the same. We know the calling. I love this too. It says, and humility, gentleness, patience, 
forbearing with one another in love. If we're going to be people who fight for unity and fight for commitment, number one, we got to be humble. Pride does not mix with this well. We're going to have to humble ourselves. We're going to have to be gentle. We're going to have to be patient. How many of God's working on your patience in this season? God's working on my patience. God's working on our patience. You think you're patient, then just get slow internet. We'll find out how patient you are. You think you're patient, just get stuck in traffic on the 401 because they're always doing construction. Always. Are we ever going to be done? No, you live in Toronto. We'll never be done. We're always going to have construction somewhere. God's working on your patience. Yeah, the Eglinton LRT. Should be done by 2055 or something like that. Hopefully sooner. (laughs) And I love this last part. It says, because there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That's what we unify around. There's one Lord we serve. There's one body of Christ we're part of. There's one spirit. There's one hope. There's one faith that we unite in unity. Another verse here, Colossians 3.14. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Two thoughts to this. Now, I love this picture, put on love. Everybody say, put on love. Go ask your neighbor, did you put on love this morning? See, I love this because it gives us a picture. A lot of times we see this, oh, I just wasn't feeling it today. It's just like, well, no, it's not a feeling, it's a choice. It's a decision, and if I'm going to be someone who fights for community and fights for unity, I'm going to have someone who puts on love. This morning I got up, I put this jacket on. I took it off when I got changed for baptism. I ran back out, I put it back on. It's a choice, it's a decision. Did you put on love today? And you know what, you got to do it every day. got to choose, I'm putting on love today. I'm putting on love, I'm walking love. And then this last word I love, and be in harmony. Everybody say harmony. What is Harmony. I'm not the most musical person, but I'm married to a very musical person, my wife. And I've been around church long enough and musos long enough and creatives long enough. Here's real simple. Harmony is simply this. Harmony is when you take different distinct voices or sounds that don't change, but together they blend. And they make a sound or they sing a song that no one could by themselves. It only happens when they're together. See, that's the picture that God's saying. He's not asking us to all become the same. And that's why I love being in a church like Toronto State Church where there's so much diversity. And y'all, sometimes diversity can be a little challenging because sometimes there's hard conversations that have to happen. And sometimes we do see things even from our, men and women see things different. Different age groups and generations see things different. Different cultural backgrounds see things different. But we say, you know what? We're committed to put on love. We are committed to follow the way of Jesus. We are committed to fight for unity and fight for community what happens is it creates this beautiful sound that ascends to heaven and that spreads throughout the city that none of us could accomplish by ourselves but when it's we fight for unity when we fight for community the holy spirit blows on it and it creates this incredible sound that only happens when we're all together and can i say this too part of harmony is not just one super superstar voice every voice matters Every person matters. Your part matters. Your prayers matter. Your worship matter. Your serving matters because we're all part of this symphony of harmony that God is creating. Bottom line, we need to fight for unity. We need to fight for community. We all have a part to play, but we have to own it.
Well, guys, part of what I'm saying, even a lot of the amazing things God's been doing in our church, there's been lots of growth, there's been lots of things that are happening, but that's actually the time more than ever we have to fight for communion unity. Because it can be easy during change, it can be easy during growth for that to be lost. Even just very practically, dynamics of organizations and churches. It's easier to have community when you're smaller. It gets more challenging as you get bigger. But it's not impossible. But it's, will each one of us own this? You guys say this guy sometimes. People say, well, I think the church needs to do this. Well, you and I are the church, so let's do it. Well, the church just needs to focus more on this. I don't think the church, listen, we're the church, so let's do it. What are ways that we can take that step? Don't just wait for it to be institutionalized. Of course, we're going to do different things as a church to work to create unity and work to create community. But here's the bottom line. What will you do? What step will you take? You know, if we just look in in closing here, Acts 2, 42, 47, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and awe came on every soul. And many wonders and signs were be done through the apostles, and all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This gives us such a beautiful picture of practical things we can do. And here's my encouragement out of this message. Don't just listen and go, okay, that was a nice message. That really encouraged me. And not do anything with it. But let's be doers of the word. What are ways we can grow in unity and community? Well, how about studying the word together? How about fellowship and koinonia? That's learning to build community, build a life that's not just about me, but it's including others. How about breaking bread together? Do you know how much of the gospels actually happened with Jesus and the disciples over food? If you look at the John chapter 13 to 17, Jesus wasn't preaching from a pulpit. He was speaking at a table. Who are you eating food with? Who are you breaking bread with? Who are you sending a text of encouragement to? Who are you praying for? See, there's some things we can do on a larger scale, but if each one of us just has that heart that I'm going to break down some walls, I'm going to get to know my neighbor, I'm going to get to know other people around me, I'm not going to come in and get out as fast as possible, not say hi to anybody, but I'm going to make an effort for unity, I'm going to make an effort for community. This week I'm going to text somebody a word of encouragement. This week I'm going to call somebody and just say, yo, so I haven't seen this person at church for a while. So why don't you call them and see how they're doing. Make an effort together, and if all of of us are doing that, what happens? There's all these connections of unity and community are forming. And then there's an anointing that's flowing. There's an atmosphere that's being created. Why? Because we are committed to walk together. Guys, can I encourage you Sunday morning? I'm glad you're here. Technically Sunday afternoon now. This is not the, fi- this is not the, fi- uh, it's the starting line. It's not the finish line. Will we walk with unity and community? How many people want to ask God, help me to grow in walking in unity and community? Come on, let's just pray over this right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for every person in this place. And God, I thank you that you've called us to walk in unity and community. Father, I thank you that there is a blessing 
that comes when we dwell together in unity. I thank you for the anointing. I thank you for the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. Father, we take authority over division, over strife, over the things the enemy would try and bring to break down what you're building. And I thank you that we will be those who fight for unity and we will be those who fight for community, God. Lord, for those who feel alone, who feel that, Lord, help this there to be a breakthrough. God, where they recognize that they, what seeds will they sow? How will they reach out? But also that you will bless them as well with those that you will bring around them. And we thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.